welcome everybody. Welcome to, to the least of these uh, adult only church. Uh, welcome tonight. Uh, anybody who is visiting with us tonight, I want you to know that you're welcome here. And if you've been here before, you're also welcome here. So praise God. Um, want to read a verse, maybe a couple verses. Psalms 100 says this. It says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving, and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. Amen. 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 That's the God we're here to praise tonight, brothers and sisters. Amen. 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 All right, before we get into praise and worship, we're going to have our brother Louise come up. He's going to pray us in, and then we'll get into some praise and worship. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father God, we come to you, Lord. We thank you, Father God, for your word says that we are not only servants, we are friends, friends of the Most High God. So we thank you, Father. We ask you tonight, Father God, the reason that hinders us, Lord, that you will fulfill that void with your spirit, Father God, and we may overcome whatever it is that holds us back. In the name of Jesus, we give all glory and thanks to you. Amen. 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 Well, good evening, everyone. Let's all stand as we come to the Lord in praise and worship tonight.
Lord, we thank you so much. You paid a debt we could never pay. Lord, you paid that debt and you did not owe it. And that was something that we owed, Lord. And your great love, Lord, came down. Lord, we thank you so much. Even though you're in heaven right now, you've given us your Holy Spirit. Spirit, we ask that you come and fill this place tonight. Give each man and woman in this place, Lord, your power. Have grace and mercy upon us, Lord, for at times we are a stiff-necked people. We just invite you in, Lord. We ask that our praise, Lord, would be earnest towards you that as we bless your name that you would receive it Lord as something that would be pleasing to you we thank you so much there's nothing worth more that could ever come close nothing compared you're our living hope Your presence flow. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of love. When my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. Your presence. Spirit, you are welcome here. Come to this place and fill the atmosphere. Your glory, Lord, is what our hearts long for. To be overcome by your presence, again there's nothing worth more that will ever come close nothing can compare you're our living hope your presence and sing of the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone your presence Lord sing it out to him tonight Holy Spirit you are Come, yes you are. Come for this. 
Oh 
You are my everything And I will 
I sing praise to the King of Kings. You are my everything, and I will adore you. Thank you for this time that you've given us to come together, Lord God, fellowship, fellowship with you, Lord, sing our praises to you, Lord. Thank you, thank you so much for everything that you do for us, Lord. Heavenly Father, I, uh, I lift up the prayer time, Lord, I lift up the service to you, Lord, and all go according to your plan, Lord. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears, Lord, open our minds to what you want us to know, Lord, and that one day we will be able to give that to somebody else, like the seed in them that you may water it, Lord. Again, I thank you so much for everything that you do for us. Thank you for your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord some praise. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. I want everybody to look at somebody and say, I'm glad you're here. Amen. Praise God. I'm glad you're all here too. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I love it when we get to praise and worship and come together like that and stand and I look around, I see everybody just enjoying the praise and worship. That's such an amazing thing. Amen. We get to do that. We get to do that every week. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to invite our brother Otto up and he's going to do praise reports and prayer requests. Amen. Amen. Hello, church. How are you? Good to see you. Also, the Lord. It's always a privilege to be here, to see everybody here. Let's pray. Oh. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight, Father God. Thank you for all the things that you do for us, the things that you have done for us in our lives, in our families all the praises that we heard tonight, Father God. We also lift up the petitions, Father God, that you heard. All my brothers, uh, just lift them up to you, Father God, that you, uh, those have had surgery, Father God, that you give the doctors wisdom and guide their hands when they do the operation. And uh, Jimmy's daughter, Father God, so pray for uh, all the brothers that are trying to uh, lead people to uh, salvation, Father God. That you uh, make a way, Father God, that the Holy Spirit will take over, Father God. That it won't be us speaking, but you, Lord. So thank you. 
just uh, all the petitions that are in our hearts, Father God, we just put them in your hands, Father God. And uh, also pray, Father God, for your word. It's going to be spoken tonight, Father God. We have attentive ears to hear, eyes to see, Father God, to receive it in our hearts, Father God. Anoint my brother that's bringing your word. We love you. We praise you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember soon after I got saved, I had a pastor that always told me, he always said this, he always said, a church that prays together stays together. So as we've heard these uh, prayer requests tonight, brothers, sisters, take them home with you and pray for them this week. Remember each other every day in prayer. This is important. That's, that's why we make these requests, because together, together, we, we were strong, right? Stronger, amen? Amen. All right, let's uh, have our brother come and uh, bring the word to us. And we'll, uh, we'll listen to the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Amen. I'm kind of uh, wondering what I missed for dinner. Everybody seems a little... Uh, <laughs> a little full. So hopefully I get to participate in that afterwards. Um, if you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians. I want to be mindful of where everybody's at. Um, always grateful to be here and always grateful to... Um, be enriched by the lives of others, you guys and gals. Um, this isn't, I think I had a conversation with somebody, yeah, I did have a conversation with, with somebody at work. And um, we were discussing kind of the hardships of doing what this job entails, what this, what this ministry entails. And uh, we're not going to battle these fans too much today. <laughs> and uh, having done this and not tooting my own horn but having done this in other areas and in other um, types of environments it's, it's, a, it's a good thing and, it's, and I'm thankful to be supported by the church not just you know hey pastor or hey shepherding elder or whatever title it is you know we're glad to see you and then everybody puts on the Christian face you know the, the, the face that, oh, come on now, let's be real. Y'all, y'all, come on. The face that when you go talk to a minister or a pastor, you're always like, well, bless you, and uh, thus thee, thou, and thine, and all of that. And, you know, and, and honestly, most pastors are like, can you just be real with me? I'm a human being outside of the pulpit, human being just like you are. Um, and you guys are. I mean, this, I praise God for the ability to do this. And... I praise God for what he has built with all of the people here. But by the end of the day, I'm thankful that Richard can come over and we can have a real conversation where it's just saint to saint, not, you know, I mean, sometimes, yes, pastor to parishioner, I understand that. But we can sit out front, drink lemonade, and just, you know, straighten one another out. Because, uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes you got to do that to the to the Calvinist. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, uh, Jimmy, when he worked with me, Ray, when he works with me now, and, you know, they don't go, okay, we'll say who's a, a manager or say who's a pastor. They, like, they know those roles. But at the end of the day, if I get a little cattywampus in the meeting, you know, Ray's going to give me that eyebrow, that, that 
Okay, now. Um, uh, Jimmy, you know, where is Jimmy? Just disappeared. Jimmy, Jimmy, when he worked with me, would always give me that, that look. He didn't say much as far as when I got a little aggravated, but he would always give me that look. That look of, I know where you're at, but come on, Sekou. Come on, dial it down. And it's like, all right, all right. So I'd, I'd see Jimmy, and I'm like, okay, this isn't the end of the world. So I'm thankful for that, to have real relationships with people. And that's what's building this environment. And I'm telling you, that's what a lot of people are going to build off coming into this. Is it perfect? No. But if it were perfect, none of us should be here. <laughs> God is perfect. He is perfecting us. And so... The good days and the bad, he's still bringing us in and building upon this foundation something that's marvelous, and I'm glad to be a part of it. Turn to Ephesians, if you haven't already, the second chapter. We're going to start with verses 4 through 10, and we're going to talk about understanding God's mercy. God's mercy. Because we often talk about grace, we talk about love. Matter of fact, we spent a whole month talking about love. But what about mercy? We don't really talk a lot about the mercy. Sometimes we think, all right, I got Jesus. I've moved past the mercy part. But if we really understood God's mercy and how it extended to us from the moment we were born all the way up to where we are at, and even in moments when we don't know we're going to need it, but he's still merciful, we would be tearing the walls down, praising God for where he has allowed us to be. So if you would... Let's all stand as we read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10 um, from the Word of God. And the Bible says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace uh, in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Father, thank you for gathering us together, for bringing us together in such a way, in such a fashion, from so many different backgrounds. We pray your spirit teaches each and every one of us, helps us to not only appreciate, but to see your divine mercy at work in our lives, and that we're having a grateful heart for it, an encouraged heart for it, a blessed heart for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I'm going to ask, uh, where's Travis? <laughs> Oh, it's right here. I appreciate the water bottles, but these are easier to drink out of. <laughs> and I'm getting better, so thank you. Today, when we're talking about God's mercy, like I said, that's an under-talked about subject. We don't really go over it because we got Jesus. We're good. Let's talk about grace. Let's talk about how grace works on our life. Let's talk about God's favor. Let's talk about God's goodness but really in order to appreciate where we're at we need to look back at how God has covered us until we got to that point how God has been merciful until we got to that point because I guarantee you everybody in both of these rooms has had a moment in their life where they are 
mindful and aware that they really shouldn't be where they're at except by the goodness of God. Car accidents, shootings, crazy exes. I mean, all sorts of things that have happened that we could have been in the grave. And yet, for some reason, God says, I need you to be here. I think about this often uh, because when I say crazy exes, I'm not talking about you guys' exes. I'm talking about one of mine. Having a gun in the house, having it sit next to me, she's upset with me. It's a Larson 380. For those of y'all that don't know anything about a Larson, they're cheap. To they're not toys, but they're cheap guns. You drop it, it's going to shoot. You sneeze, it's going to shoot. She got upset with me and took the gun and um, had pointed it at me while, while I'm laying on the couch. And then when, I, when she pulled it back, she happened to turn just so slightly. And when she pulled it back, bow! So I happened to you know, open my eyes, snatch the gun out of her hand, which made matters worse, put it back and went back to sleep. I had no idea that this bullet literally went right here and into the wall. No idea. So for about 30 minutes, I was wondering why she's screaming and hollering and freaking out. And <laughs> now I see the bullet hole and I'm going, ew. Inches. 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 For some reason, I am here in this moment. For some reason, you guys are here in this moment. As I sit and I think about God's mercy, two situations had confronted me this week. One of them, I'm rejoicing with a friend, a good friend, who has um, overcome the brunt of his, the, uh, something that came to take his life. And he's here to celebrate with us. And I rejoice with him. Every time I hear him sing, every time I see him, I'm, I'm, I'm joyful, I'm encouraged. And then by the same token, I'm watching my emails for a coworker who I'd known for seven years, who came into the office Tuesday, had been battling an illness, and said, you know what, Sekou, I'm getting better. Thursday, he had a stroke, brain bleeding, was in a coma, and they were talking about pulling the plug. The dichotomy of life and where we are at, where I am rejoicing with one and mourning with another family at the potential loss of their son, of their husband, and just thinking back, God has me here for a reason, but by the grace of God, there go I. And each and every one of you in this room are here for a reason. And we are here because of God's mercy. Understanding some things about um, God's mercy, the beginning of this verse says, but God who is rich in mercy, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. The word but is an unofficial, uh, non-sanctioned acronym. Behold the underlying truth. So when somebody argues with you, I don't remember the word for but in Spanish, but when somebody argues with you and they say, yeah, but... That means that everything that you have said, they're getting ready to throw out the window so that they could state what is reality. Behold the underlying truth. So when, uh, when he writes, I'm pretty sure Paul did not have behold the underlying truth in mind, but when he says, but God, and we've all had a but God moment. He says, but God who is rich in mercy. Well, what is the previous act 
in which we needed that. Verse 1, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, um, the spirit who works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others, but God. And each and every one of us can look and say, I was a drug dealer, I was this, I was that, I was a gangbanger, but God. I was running, in a redlining my life, but God. I was facing death, but God. I was dealing with this situation or the other, but God. And so we all have these but God moments in our life. The underlying truth is that God's mercy has been covering us even when we did not realize it. One of the things that we have to look at when we talked about, talk about God's mercy is that God is sovereign. A word that we don't like to use very often because, you know, we like to elect our leaders. No matter how crazy they are. We... <laughs> That's aimed at Republicans and Democrats, because honestly, at the end of the day, I'm just like, why? But we like to elect our leaders. We like to think that we have a say in who we're going to put in control of us. But when we start talking about sovereign, we have no control over that. That's their own entity. They can do what they want. We have no power over that. So when we start talking about God is good, yeah, God is good. God is love. Yeah, God is love. God is sovereign. Well, if you go back a little bit, like Genesis, <laughs> you notice that somehow we went from being God's creation to being as God's knowing good and evil. So anytime we talk about someone or something being sovereign, a little part of that old man that, that God on the inside of us says, you, you know, I need to be recognized that there's not going to be anybody with absolute power over my life. But if we humble ourselves and realize who God is, he is sovereign. There is no bargaining with him. There is no come now let us reason together unless he opens the door for that. He is God. There is none other. And he essentially is going to do exactly what he wants to do. However, praise God that we know that he is not fickle, inconsistent, like we've seen other people who have created gods and then choose to serve them. Zeus could care less about the Romans. And many other deities that man has created has to either deal with an indifferent God or a God that can change their mind at a whim and the people are unimportant. But we serve a God who says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so if he says it, it is going to be. He's not going to say, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm going to just wipe it all out. He keeps his word and he doesn't change. Amen. So even if we bristle at the idea that God is sovereign, one thing that we can relax in is that God is not going to be something that we got to wake up every day going, who are you today? Kind of like we do with each other. <laughs> we get a little schizophrenic and, you know, some days you get, search my coworkers, no, some days you get grumpy, Seku. 
Someday you get happy Seiku. Someday you get leave me alone Seiku. Someday you get manic Seiku. Sometimes you get depressed Seiku. You don't know who you're going to get on any given day. But with God, when we go to him in prayer, we know exactly what we're going to get. We know exactly what his character is and we know exactly what his nature is. But one of the things about being sovereign, which we look at kings in the natural, but really God is Lord over all, is that when God speaks, it's not a suggestion. Even he keeps his word. Glory be to God. So if you think of the fact that sometimes we look at his word as suggestions, but if God says something, he is going to do it. He keeps his word. He doesn't go, I said it, but I've changed my mind. Once he said it, it's going to be. So when God makes a decree, it has got to be. And in his sovereignty, he said, this is the way things should be. This is how I created you. This is what the plan is. And at some point, we didn't line up with that. And we don't line up with that. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that there is none righteous, no, not one. Every man, every woman, every person born into this world has come into this world as a sinner, even if they did not sin after the likeness of Adam. Just being born in a state that is not what God intended for us to be is missing the mark, which is sin. So God, being righteous, has to say, this is the way it's supposed to be. If it does not line up with the way it's supposed to be, then there is uh, something that we don't like talking about. It's called judgment. It's called judgment. It's the day of reckoning. Whatever it is that you want to call it, God says it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment, which means that we're not going to escape it. As a matter of fact, if you think about it, looking at God's plan forward and in the future, him kicking Adam and Eve out of the garden before they had a chance to eat out of the tree of life wasn't an act of maliciousness, it was an act of mercy. That's right. Because it is appointed unto man wants to die. If they ate off the tree after sinning, they would have lived in a fallen state and God would have no choice but to consign them all to where the broken toys go. So it's an act of mercy. A lot of times when we don't understand God's mercy, we wonder why did he take this person out or why did he take that person out? David wondered this when God struck down Uzzah for touching the Ark of the Covenant. David pouted. He didn't even ask. He pouted. He was angry. He was upset. Why would you kill Uzzah? Uzzah was trying to help you, but it was an act of judgment, righteous judgment against Uzzah and against David. Because number one, David should not have brought the Ark of the Covenant out of the land of the Philistines on donkey carts. He knew what he was supposed to do. He chose not to do it. And one of his servants who decided to help out by touching the Ark to make sure it doesn't fall, which is a no-no, got zapped. So it was an act of judgment, but it was also an act of mercy. Because there's a principle that if you touch the ark, if you touch something holy, especially as holy as the Ark of the Covenant, that's a place that Uzzah, uh, you, you don't get no higher than that. But now what happens if Uzzah takes that contact with God and then goes out and commits something much worse? Mm -hmm. 
So instead of allowing Uzzah to make further mistakes after touching glory, Uzzah was eliminated. He was killed by the glory of God. And David looked at it as, you're picking on me, but God looked at it as an act of mercy that we still yet have to understand. There are people in our lives that are not here because it's an act of mercy. There are people that have been suffering with illnesses, with breakdowns, with mental illnesses, with so many things. And we look at it like they've been robbed from us, but we don't understand God's mercy that he says, you know what? Your time here is done and your work is finished. Come home. And he ends their suffering. And we don't understand that because all we see is the loss. And we think God is mad. He is angry. But God is merciful. The judgment that he has must be. And he can't go against his word. But in order to alleviate or create space for man before the judgment, he is merciful to make sure that we have space to see exactly what it is that he is. And at some point he created a benefit, uh, uh, not a benefit, but a way in which he took upon the judgment himself which is an act of mercy. The judgment that each and every one of us was supposed to undergo, Christ took it upon himself. Before Christ took it upon himself, he created a system of sacrifices in which animals gave up their life so that their owners could continue to live. As a matter of fact, they didn't even get a chance to kind of walk around and think of the idea. Once you, and, and this is how it worked, you're going to be my um, goat. You're the goat. You're no Tom Brady, but you're the goat. So I'm going to bring this goat to the altar, and I'm going to tell the priest, this goat is going to be my stand-in for my sin. The minute that I, the sinner, lay my hand on the goat, that's transference. The goat, at this point, is marked for death. Because I'm, I'm giving my sin to the goat, so to speak. Not actually, but I'm giving my sin to the goat. The goat doesn't get a chance to go eat one last blade of grass before it gets put on the altar. Immediately, once I do that, that goat is sacrificed. Even all the way back in Genesis, when God made Adam and Eve coats of skins, do you think some animal just said, here's my fur, go ahead and make a... <laughs> Last time I checked, there ain't a deer, cow, goat, bear, any animal that gives up its fur other than sheep without having to die. And alpacas. So something had to die. It wasn't coats of really fur, it was coats of skins. Them leather boots, leather shoes, leather purses, all that is some cow that, you know, decided to become furniture. But when we look at sin, even though God was merciful upon us, there still was a cost for sin. 1 Peter 1.3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant Mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Once and for all, our sins, past, present, and future, things before where he was at, and people to come afterwards, sin was transferred to Jesus Christ, and he paid the penalty for each and every one of us. 
There is no man, woman, child, creation, creature that could take the full wrath of God for themselves, let alone anyone else, and survive it to come out and go, okay, I paid the price. The price of sin is death. And Jesus paid the cost. All the while we're slumming it and gangbanging and drug dealing and living riotously and doing all these crazy things. And, and even for people who haven't done those sorts of things, I don't care if you stole cars or candy bars, you still defrauded somebody. It's still sin. I don't care if you stole apples. I'm picking on somebody. Plums. You stole plums. I can kind of justify that, but God doesn't. <laughs> it's still sin. It's still defrauding somebody else. And somebody had to die for that. So by faith, we stand in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We have no bargaining chips when it comes to that. By faith and by faith only, we say, I recognize that I'm a sinner, that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I believe that he died for my sins, and I invite him into my heart to be my Lord and Savior. When we do that, even though we are living, we are proclaiming by faith that Jesus Christ has paid the penalty forever for our sins. When he died on the cross, he said it is finished. Therefore, our judgment is transferred. Matter of fact, there's an incredible transfer that happens. Again, and I didn't even intend on talking about this, but the transfer from me to the goat means I'm giving my sin to the goat and the goat dies for me. But I don't get anything from the goat except for maybe, you know, the priest gets to eat. Um, <laughs> but when Jesus died for you and I, there's that transference. My sin went to Christ, but his righteousness came to us. It wasn't a one-way ticket. It was a switch. Let me take that off of you, which you could never pay for, and let me give you something you could never earn. And when it comes to the mercy of God, the difference between mercy and grace is that mercy is withholding something from you that you got coming, while grace is giving you something you couldn't earn. How many of y'all came home after them streetlights came on and you knew mama and them told you, do not, don't be outside when it's dark. When the streetlights come on, you better have your butt in the house. And you know, we want to play one last round of football or catch or baseball or whatever it is that we play. And we know the minute we go home that that belt, the paddle, <laughs> the spoon, something's waiting on us when we get home. So we kind of, you know, we kind of, you know, we, 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 we stretch it out. I mean, I'm, a, I'm, getting I'm getting whooped for this anyway, so I might as well get my, my money's worth. So we stay out as long as possible because we know when we get home that punishment is about to happen. And imagine the shock on our face. <laughs> I don't think this has ever happened. But imagine the shock on your face if you walk home and your mom says, I already whooped your dad. <laughs> The, 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 your dad took your whooping for you. Go to your room. Matter of fact, go play Xbox. Or back in those days, it was uh, go play Atari. Your dad took your whooping for you. 
What? But for each and every one of us, by faith, we lay a hold to the fact that the Father sent his Son to die in our place. Now, on the other side of the scales, there are people who either reject or doubt God's provision for their atonement and God's provision for their judgment. And really, what they are doing is saying, you know what? I don't trust what you gave me. So I'll take my punishment for myself. They even make jokes about it. Countless people that I've heard talk about, you know what, all my friends are in hell. That's where the party is. Like, are you stupid? Are you, do you really understand? If you understand and believe that your friends are in hell and that the, the hell has a creator, which is God, that, that's not a joke. To say, I'll take my chances and go to hell with my friends and party. But there are people who minimize the mercy of God, and that's exactly the route that they take. Because they don't understand the great cost, the great decision, and the great love that a merciful God poured out on each and every one of us by sending his son in his sovereignty. There is a scripture in a song that we'll sing later, Psalm 145, 8 and 9, which talks about the very nature of God. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all and his tender mercies are over all his works. That's his nature. That's his relationship with us. That's what he wants to do. He doesn't come in and say, I'm going to judge all of them. He says, you know what? I, I have to judge them. I have to because I'm righteous. But before the judgment, I'm going to give them a means of escape. And I will take the judgment upon myself if they would only choose to look upon my son and believe in him. That's his nature. That's his nature. He withholds judgment unless we absolutely decide in rejecting him or doubting him that we want to take our punishment upon ourselves. You say, well, how does that work in my earlier life? Again, the but God means that before then we were dead in our trespasses. We didn't even know we needed mercy. But God, who can look at all time as if it were right there in front of him, says, you know what? Chris is going to get it one day. So I'm going to be merciful and I'm going to continue my mercy on him until he gets it. Ernie ain't going to get it at all. So, <laughs> sorry, Ernie. I didn't mean it like that, but <laughs> he's like, oh, I'm done. <laughs> this one is not going to get it. This one is going to choose to take their fate. But the ones that are looking for him, he has provided mercy. And really, even the one that is choosing to take their fate, sometimes they're still alive because God gives space for repentance. Look at Revelations, the third chapter. It's understanding that God, the sovereign God, is choosing to do this on his own without any input, without any bargaining, without any uh, self-disclosed value from man.
Man can't persuade God to show mercy. God chooses to show mercy, which means the only thing man can do is receive it. The same as love. We can't force God to love us. He chose to love us. All we can do is receive it. We can't force God to forgive us. He chose to forgive us. All we can do is receive it, which means that we are on the other side of the relationship where there is sovereign, there is a subject. Just like kings are in charge of the land, the people in the land are the subjects. They respond to the king. We are the subjects. We don't tell the king what to do. The king tells us what to do. And oftentimes when we preach like this, sometimes we get it a little out of balance to make it seem as if God is just a dictator. God is sovereign. He's not a dictator. The, if you think about why he created man, is because love needs an object in order to actually be love. You can't say I'm loving, but there is nothing that you love. It's not being expressed. Love is a verb. So when God says, I am love, he creates an object for him to love, which is us. So there is a value to man and woman. Stop, Art. And so, <laughs> there is a value to us, but it's not a value that we hype up and say, you know what, we're going to show ourselves to be incredible before God. It is God saying, I have created you for such a purpose, and I am granting you mercy until you reach that purpose. Just that in itself, the mercy of God bringing us to the point of the cross where we found salvation is enough to stop the sermon and just say thank you Lord because you didn't leave me to die on my own devices or Ray Ray and them shooting at me or La Vida Loca shooting at me or whatever the case may be. Four Brothers, it's a movie, just crazy movie. Man is a subject. We are the receiver of the mercy that God gives out. Turn to Matthew, the ninth chapter, or it will be on the board because it's only two verses. Matthew chapter 9, verse uh, 12 and 13. When Jesus heard that, he's speaking to Pharisees, people who think that they're all right within themselves because they keep the law. They do all the things right that God said to do. Therefore, because I can keep the law without your help, that must mean I am valuable you and Jesus is always, Jesus is always like you don't keep the law like you think you do he's always busting that bubble he's always popping the pin on the big head you ain't even keeping the law like you think you should and you think because God gave 613 commandments that and you keep them all to the best of what you think that all of a sudden I can bargain and I can reason with God when Jesus heard that he said to them those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Well, people don't go to a hospital unless they're going to visit somebody who's sick. But then we got people, men especially, and some men in this church, that it's a plague for all men, trust me. They're walking like this, bleeding out the leg, and can't hear in one ear, coughing to sound like an old radiator just giving out, and then people go, you should see a doctor. <coughs> I'm fine. I'll be all right. I mean, we're pig-headed like that. 
It's obvious to everybody else around us, we ain't well. But we think we're well. And that's what Jesus is talking about. It's obvious that all men are sinners. But the Pharisees ignore that and position themselves as well. Therefore, they don't need a physician. And Jesus says, fine, you don't need grace if you constantly think that you can do this on your own, even though you need grace. But the ones that are sick are the ones that recognize and recognize that they are sick. You know what? I need to go see a doctor because if I don't sew this up, I'm going to bleed out. It's going to be all bad. You know what? I just... Uh, my leg shouldn't be hanging at that kind of angle. I probably should go see a doctor. Like they recognize something's wrong. And when each and every one of us come to the cross, we recognize, you know what? Sin is in my life and sin is wrong. And there's no way I can right the wrong, but I can believe in the one who righted the wrong for us. And that's Jesus Christ. Then Jesus tells them, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let me explain that for a second. We'll leave that up there. Let me explain. Learn what this means. I, I used to read this and I was like, you know what? I get it, but I don't get it. And then, you know, sometimes God has a moment of going, could have had a V8. Do you see this? Do you understand this? The very same thing that we were talking about. If you are good at the sacrificial system, you know how to bring that goat, that cow, that calf, that dove or whatever it is to the altar. That is, I can sin and I can do what I want, but I know how to buy God. I know how to make things even with God. So I can do what I want to do. Because I know how to pay for it. Something else has got to die. The cost is inconsequential. I get to continue doing what I do. And I allow this goat, this chicken, this dove, whatever it is, to die in my place. To buy God's favor. That's what the Pharisees are doing. I know how to game the system. If I give God what he wants, then I'm allowed to do whatever it is that I want to do. That's why he's confronting them. But Pharisees aren't the only ones with that problem. If we think that we can by God's favor, by God's mercy, because of our actions, because we are so right, so good, I look perfect, I'm the best looking one in the church. And Steve says, no, I'm not. I mean, no, no, you're not, I am. And then Mike says, no, you're not, I am. And he got a whole bunch of folks in the church thinking, you know, well, I'm the best looking one, God has to choose me. And you say, that's a stupid analogy. Yeah, but self-righteousness is pretty much the same thing. I'm so much better than also. I'm so much better than Mark. I mean, look at the car I drive. Look at the way I dress. Look at the things I do. Look, I don't cuss. <laughs> I don't smoke. I know people in the church that smoke. I'm so much better than them. I don't do that. We shouldn't do that. That's an attitude of self-righteousness. Do I encourage saints to smoke? And I know there's some of you in here who do. Whether you think we know it or not. Why do you think we tell you smell you later? Uh, <laughs> do I think that you're going to hell because you smoke? No, but you're going to smell like hell when you get to heaven. That's a joke. In all seriousness, I don't think that I'm better than somebody else because they smoke and I don't. Because I guarantee you, 
if we lifted off the covers and saw each other's lives like God sees our lives, there's going to be some other things going on in our lives that we're like, it will put us in our place real quick. So it's not good to be self-righteous. It's not good to think that you're better than other people. And it's not good to think that you can bargain with God. He's sovereign. We should be thankful for his goodness, not trying to buy it. So instead of buying God's favor, we turn around in humility and we bless God because of this grace and rich mercy towards each and every one of us that we should be dead. But yet because of his favor, because of his love, because of his compassion, we are still here for a reason. I can't explain why people around me, some live and some don't. But I can look at the scripture that says 10,000 will fall at your right hand and a thousand on your left or whichever hand, however you want to put it. That means that some people don't make it, but you do. And all I can do is trust God in his righteousness and thank God for his mercy. Man is a subject. And we can't go to God with a prideful heart. We should go to God with a grateful heart because of his mercy poured upon us. Not to be sorrowful, but to rejoice. Lord, there's a reason why, and I thank you for it. Now, turn to uh, Hebrews 14, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Wow, that's interesting. The Bible says, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through to the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Next verse, that actually makes it easier to read. <laughs> What's the next verse, Eric? Eric doesn't have the next verse. I'm trying to fix it. Ah. For we don't fix it. That's easier to read. I actually like that. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So when you think Jesus just doesn't understand what you're going through, go back and read this. Let us therefore because of what we just read in the prior two verses, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of God, to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Boldly. You know, sometimes that we, we feel like we've messed up, we got it all bad, and, and we're hesitant to go into the throne room of God. Do you know what that place is? that God sits, that he's referring to in this scripture, it's called a what? Mercy seat. In other words, when we find ourselves in a bind, in a situation, in a catastrophe, in a time of need, we messed up or things are messed up. We don't run from God. We run to God. We run to his throne to find mercy to cover us because something went wrong and we should be punished and judged and we also find grace to help us navigate and get out of the situation to begin with. What does the adversary has us do? You sin, you mess up, you fall short and you go run and hide. Why? Because he doesn't want you going to the throne of God and obtaining mercy and grace. I hope that you hear that so that on Tuesday, when you have a situation, you, instead of allowing the flesh to go its way, you say, you know what, Lord, I, let me stop. Let me stop. Let me, let me come before your throne. Here I am, Lord. 
Things are messed up. I'm messed up. I'm in need. I'm in need of you. You say, well, what if I go to the throne and he kills me? Job said, yet if he slays me, I will trust him. I would rather go to the throne and God says, you've had enough and die and still go on with him smelling like smoke than to continue on thinking that I'm well and good. And yet all I'm doing is killing myself and severing myself from the source of my life and mercy and grace. When you understand God's mercy and how powerful it is, why the Bible says mercy triumphs over judgment. Judgment is something that God has to do when things don't line up with his word. But mercy is part of his heart towards us so that we don't have to face the judgment. We can, by grace, be who he called us to be. And then we are ever more grateful because of it, even though we don't fully understand the depths of his mercy towards us. In the Greek, the word uh, mercy is uh, Elius, or it comes from the root Elius, which ironically enough uh, is also related to the word for olive oil. Think about that. We use olive oil for anointing. We use olive oil for prayer for the sick. We use olive oil for, you know, when you're, you ain't got much up here. And so, you know, you put that on. <laughs> we use olive oil to soothe our stomachs. We use olive oil to cook in. Olive oil is one of the best oils that we can use. But it has soothing properties for burns and all sorts of stuff to alleviate problems. And that's the same thing with mercy. That God says, you know what? You were not created to live like that. You were created for much better. And until you understand that, I am going to extend mercy to triumph over the judgment that should come upon you until you're able to see for yourself just how good I am and why I created you to show my good love to. Then we turn around when we start understanding mercy and God tells us to be merciful to others. In Luke, chapter 6. Let me see if I can find it. Luke chapter 6. That's Matthew. They both begin with a J, right? <laughs> Some of y'all catch up to that in a second. Wait a minute, neither one of them begin with a J. I can only count to four, Mike. <laughs> Luke chapter 6, verses 31 through 36. And again, who is this talking? Jesus. Jesus. In verse 31, just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend sinners to receive as much back. In other words, there are things sinners do that just because you think you're good, they're doing the same thing. They're doing the same thing. However, but love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. 
Hmm. Therefore, be merciful just as your father also is merciful. Doesn't Ephesians 5 tell us to be imitators of God as dear little children? Because we're created in his image and now because of grace, we are being built into the same image and the same likeness and the same nature. Which means that if God is loving, he's developing us so that we love like he does. God is righteous and he says, be righteous for I am righteous. Be holy for I am holy. Okay, God's holy. We need to learn how to do that. Be righteous. Okay, he made us righteous, but we can learn how to walk in that righteousness. Be merciful because I am merciful. Now, wait a second. You mean to tell me that when Chris slashed my tires, and good luck in doing that because they're very small, but when Chris went out there and slashed my tires, I'm supposed to be merciful to him? I'm supposed to just forgive him? There is a parable about a man who pleaded for mercy from the king, and the king gave him mercy because of his debt. Then this man went out, and this man's debt was great. This man went out, turned around, and harangued somebody that owed him mere pittance. And when the king found out about it, he threw him in jail. How am I going to have mercy on you? And then you go around and turn into a hellion towards somebody else. He didn't say hellion. But we do that. We pray for God's mercy. Lord, withhold judgment from me. Grant me favor in the sight of man and in the sight of God. And then turn around, and when somebody commits an infraction against us, instead of being merciful, we want to give them both barrels. That's not the nature that God is putting on the inside of us. That is the old man nature that God is trying to eliminate from us. We start sounding like Cartwright. Better respect my authority. And next, <laughs> I shouldn't have did that. And the next thing you know, that pride is leaping up. Man, you can't let him talk to you like that. You ain't no chump. You ain't weak. But in all actuality, showing mercy is a form of strength, not weakness. We don't like looking weak. Even as Christians, we don't like looking weak. That's why we work out, you know. We want to get all big, get the guns up, you know. I'm a Christian, but... You know, hey, hey, record, look, 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 look at Harry, put the shirt up a little bit, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but there is something on it, even for women, there is something on the inside of us in our old nature that does not want to appear weak or the V word. What is the V word? Vulnerable. We didn't did enough of being vulnerable. We were vulnerable when we were discovered to be naked in the garden and exposed by the serpent. We're vulnerable when everybody else has taken advantage of us. We're vulnerable when we've been abused, when we've been lied to, when we've been misaligned, when we've been neglected. And all of a sudden, when we grow up, when I was a child, I thought as a child, I acted as a child, uh, I spoke as a child, but when I became a man, I thought as a child, I acted as a child, and I spoke as a child. <laughs> That's not how the scripture goes. When I became a man, I put away childish things. But if even in therapy, you often recognize that a lot of the problems that we have didn't just pop up on a Tuesday, Wednesday morning, and all of a sudden, wow, for some reason, my mind is just not right. It started way back when we were children. It started from the things we learned, the systems we grew up in, the things that we've developed, whether it's in the family or in the culture. And all of a sudden now when we grow up, well, we love the Lord, 
But this whole turn the other cheek thing, God help you while I turn it. Because we don't want to appear vulnerable and weak. Is God weak? Even his weakness is stronger than men's weakness. So it's greater than men's strength. So when you think about it, being merciful isn't I can't respond. Being merciful is I choose not to respond for your benefit because of love. That's how God does us. And then he turns around and says, go learn how to show mercy. Not be bought, not listen to what people say and this, that, and the other to try and persuade you and win your favor. Be merciful because you choose to be merciful because you recognize the strength that I put on the inside of you by my grace. So we go out and we learn how to not only be thankful for mercy, but to recognize the infractions that God could have taken us out and said, nope, I'm gonna show them mercy and then turn right back around and go to Luis or Chris or whoever that commits an infraction and go, you know what, you know what? God bless you. That doesn't mean that you have to sit in a situation and allow somebody to take advantage of you. But by the same token, you don't have to go eye for an eye. As a matter of fact, eye for an eye is a way of telling people this is as far as you can go. If Chris, and I'm, you know, I'm picking on Chris because he's sitting up front because I don't want to pick on Ruth. Because um, I'm using like a lot of violent examples and then, you know. So anyways, if Chris somehow, some way ends up um, causing me injury in which I lose my eye. What that law is saying is that the most I can retaliate against Chris to even things out is take his eye. That's it. That's as far as I can go. An eye for an eye. So if he takes an eye, then I'm owed an eye, theoretically. Not, I'm going to take both his eyes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wring his neck, I'm going to take his hands, cut him off, and I'm going to place him in his ears and all that. That's going too far. That's out of balance. Now I took a minor infraction and just upped it up. You dropped one nuke on me, I'm throwing everything at you. That's what we think strength is. But Jesus says, if they stole from you, then forgive them. As a matter of fact, if, if they want your cloak, offer them. You know, it's, instead of going and getting what's yours, it's recognizing there's a reason why they're doing this. They're broken, they're hurt, and you know what? Instead of aggravating the hurt, I'm gonna show you mercy. And one day, hopefully, you will figure out that while we could have done this, we chose not to do this because I want you to learn how great God is, and sometimes the only way that you're gonna see the loving kindness of God is if you see it through his servants. So we start showing the same mercy that was shown to each and every one of us because we start understanding it. And we start becoming thankful for it. And if God has blessed me, how can I not bless somebody else? If God has been merciful to pig-headed, stubborn, the T word that's in Spanish that I don't know if I should be saying or not, but it rhymes with Erkel. Uh, <laughs> the word Christina used to always call me, um, which means stubborn. Terrible. Terrible. I, you know what? I got in trouble for saying something a couple weeks ago, so I have to be careful with what I say in Spanish. I'm around people that speak bad Spanish at work, so I have to, I have to be real careful with what... <laughs> yeah. 
But at the end of the day, knowing I'm pig-headed and stubborn and God forgave me, how can I not? I might set up boundaries, but how can I not show that same compassion to someone else that was shown to me? How can I rob them of something God so freely poured upon me because of his love? And if I'm loving like he is loving or learning how to love as he loves, then how can I not show that same love? Doesn't depend on whether you're attractive or whether you're friendly or whether you're my friend or my enemy. It matters because I choose to because that's what my father would do. What did Jesus set the example for? He says, I can only do as I see my father do. I have a lot of questions about that, but I know that some of the acts and some of the things that he did is because that is the very nature of the father towards man. And for each and every one of us, when we operate in our gifts and our calling, healing is an act of mercy. This thing which is trying to kill you, we're going to grant you time and remove this thing so you can see the glory of God. Charity is an act of mercy. You couldn't do for yourself. And instead of leaving you on the corner to die in the heat, I'm going to pour out. I'm going to give you a glass of water or a bottle of water or whatever. All of these different things that we do is an act of mercy to alleviate the suffering of someone else so that they can see the goodness of God with the hope that one day they will turn to him and say, you are my father through Christ Jesus, our Lord. When we look at some of the issues that we have, even in this church, and we recognize that God has been merciful to us up to this point, it's like the song, we don't sing it here, but you know, in, in, you might sing it in, in uh, Casa Grande, but there's a song that's when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all he's done for me, my soul cries out hallelujah, thank God for saving me, it's not that I got a Maserati or the fancy house or this, that, and the other. It's just that, God, I should be dead. And I'm not because of your goodness, because of your love, because of your mercy. Not because I did anything to earn it, but because you chose to be merciful. And we have a grateful heart for that, a heart that looks at other people with compassion because of it. Hurting people hurt people. And when we realize that, because a lot of us hurt people because we were hurting, and then when we start showing mercy and, and creating it, this environment is a merciful environment so that people who hurt because they hurt can find space to have their hurt mended by the grace of God and learn what mercy is and then turn back around and recognize that, you know what, Luis isn't a mean person per se something taught him to be mean something caused him to be the way that he is he may not even realize how he is but at the end of the day if i show him mercy and love at some point hopefully he recognizes i'm not meant to love i mean i'm not meant to live this way i'm meant to live better than this today we're before we close I usually don't, but in the spirit of Mark, we're going to stand before we dismiss and sing a song, and then I'll pray and we'll do the benediction. So if you all would stand. As we sing this song, whether you sing it or whether you listen, I pray that you hear these words 
and hear and think of the goodness of God in each and every one of our lives, of his mercy, of his chesed in Hebrew, which has been abundantly poured out because he loves us to turn around and say, you know what, God, you are good and your mercy endures forever. And then to turn right back around and say, Lord, show me how to be merciful to others as you have been merciful unto me. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love, and the Lord is good to all, and He has compassion on all that He has made.
that you not only have poured out upon us before we came to the cross, but that you have continually poured out upon us even after we proclaim the Lord as Lord and Savior. And Lord, we thank you for the mercies that we don't even know we need until you complete your work on the inside of each and every one of us. But Father, help us to appreciate, understand, and have gratitude over and abounding of the mercy that you have. But also, Father, help us develop our heart by your grace to show that mercy, that kindness to those that you have put us in front of. Help us to be that example that passes on the mercy that was given to us unto others, not because they deserve it, not because they don't deserve it, but because we serve a good God and we choose to be merciful as our God is merciful. Father, we thank you and we bless you that you have not created us weak, but that you have created us strong, that you have created us to love, and not just us, but you have created mankind, men and women, to be loved and to be respected because of the value that you have shown and put upon them, help us, Lord, to show that same love, that same compassion, and that same mercy as you give us the grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you lift your hands for the benediction? Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Let the church who has been shown abundant mercy declare amen and amen. God bless you. Amen. Thank you, Lord.